Hill. Hey, it's great to be with you here in person. Uh, I want to welcome all of you that are in person here. I want to welcome those that are joining us online as well. Uh, for those of you that are here in person, it behooves me to tell you about a meeting that we have here during second service. If you're interested in joining, we are getting our Getting to Know class uh, done at the beginning of this month. And Getting to Know, for those of you that aren't familiar, is just an opportunity where we're inviting individuals to come to get to know more about Northern Hills. It's an opportunity to meet some pastors and get the vision and mission and scope of everything that's going on here at Northern Hills, what we've seen God do in the past many years, but also what we believe he's doing in our present and in our future. And I want to invite all of you, uh, if you got uh, maybe lunch plans, maybe tweak them a little bit, feel free to head there at 1045. It's going to be held during our second hour. Um, I know there'll be some time in between services, maybe go grab a coffee, come back. We also have child care available for that. If you have a family, uh, we'll still watch your littles as uh, you go check that out. I know some are already signed up, but I just wanted to make sure that that's an invite for all of you that are here in person. Uh, for those of you that are here for the first time at Northern Hills, again, uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're thrilled that you're here spending your Sunday with us. And many of you might be joining us for the first time during this teaching series. If you're new to any of that, I want you to know that this teaching series, we've been fighting. Uh, we've been fighting the good fight for our marriages. We've been getting in the ring. And what that means for us here in the ring uh, is that we're going to get into the ring because we're not going to stay in our corners. We're not going to stay in our corners. We know our marriages matter more than that. So we're fighting for the married couples here at Northern Hills. We've been fighting for those that are divorced here at Northern Hills. We've been fighting for those that are looking to one day get married at Northern Hills. And just uh, hopefully getting some tools and resources to all of us because we all need them. Uh, marriage is hard. I think we know that. Marriage is a, 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 can be a difficult thing. But we believe in the marriages at Northern Hills. And we want to choose to fight the good fight for the right reasons, for the right things. And uh, we want to see marriages go the distance here. So we've been getting in the ring and choosing to fight that good fight. But we've also been focusing on the symbolism of what the ring is. Of what the ring is when we do have our wedding day. When we give our vows to our significant other. What does this little thing here symbolize? And just, just an aside, actually, to start us off this morning, you can uh, just think to yourself online there, how many of you lost this little symbol and this little promise maker here before? Go ahead and raise your hands if you've lost a wedding ring. Uh, how many of you, keep those hands up if you've lost two or three of these little guys, right? I only ask that because uh, a good friend, I've been blessed enough to not lose this little symbol uh, with, uh, in 17 years of marriage, uh, but my best friend, I told him I was going to throw him under the bus today, he's lost four of them, and he's only been married a year. No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, he's been married more, much longer than a year, but, but I always tease him because I'm like, how does your wife stay with you? You just like lose these like a Cracker Jack box ring or something like that. What's your deal? You need to get the tattoo, just make it official, make it done, and you'll be set, right? I think we know this about the wedding ring. We know that while it brings tremendous symbolism, and while it has very much significance towards the wedding day and towards our futures, we know that the promises we make are much more significant. The promises that we make on our wedding day are much more significant. They're stronger than any kind of material of a ring that we would get. And we've spent three weeks focused on what those promises are. Week one, we wanted to focus on the promise of priority. 
The promise of priority, meaning that if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are going to make God one and our spouse our two. And then the second week, Pastor John led us through the second week, the promise of pursuit. And the idea behind that was the promise we were making is that we're going to pursue our two. If God's in pursuit of us and we make that the priority, we're going to make sure we pursue our significant other as well. And then John piggybacked on weeks and he taught last week the promise of partnership. And what he spoke about was this idea that we're going to move from a me-centric mentality in our marriages to a (laughs) we-centric idea within our marriages. He talked about submission. And he talked about what mutual submission looked like. And so if you missed any of those first three weeks, I want to encourage you just to go back online, check those out. Um, Hopefully they'll be helpful to you. And today, today we're going to look at the promise of purity. The promise of purity. And we'll get to what the promise is and the promise that we're going to make to our significant other as we walk through this teaching together. But I think it's important to define terms. I'm a, I'm a definition guy. I like to d- define what we're talking about. And so the definition of purity, as the dictionary states it, is freedom, for, freedom from immorality. Freedom from immorality, especially of a sexual nature. Now, I think when we think of purity, that's where we immediately go is the sexual nature of that. But I love the beginning of that, the freedom from immorality. That can mean a lot of different things. Now, I asked a fun question about the ring to begin things and just to start things off. But what if I were to dig in a little bit more? And what if I were to ask us the question, and if we were to raise our hands for this, how many of us in the room are making plans to significantly wound our marriage. Chances are, we're not raising our hands as much for that, right? We're not engaging with that question. My guess is that it'd be really quiet, like it is, really quick. Because no one plans on, on, on wounding their marriage. No one plans on committing adultery. No one plans on having a pornography addiction, And those may seem like, whoa, you're getting into the deep weeds really here early, Brandon. And you may think that that's harsh as we kick things off. Maybe those seem very far off in our marriages. So I'll take it down a bit. not, Not one of us, I think, plans, plans on having an emotional affair. There's no one that plans on starting to share with a, uh, an opposite sex at work or the opposite sex in a friendship or part of a church or anything like that. Things that we would not share with our spouse, right? Perhaps sharing intimate information with that opposite sex before we share it with our spouse. No one plans on doing that. And they may, that may sound innocent enough, but remember, purity is defined as this freedom from immorality. That's the definition. So do we really feel free with someone of the opposite sex to just share every single thing we want to with them and really leave our spouse out of those conversations? Does it feel moral to you when you tear down a significant other even in front of them or maybe the easier way behind their back? Does that feel moral to you? See, no one plans to significantly wound their marriage, but it starts small, and then it grows over time, doesn't it? We don't have many hands raised for those questions because no one plans those things. Nobody plans to hurt their relationship in such a way, and yet we see this take place in marriages all the time, don't we? We know of people 
that have gone through some deep wounds. We ourselves maybe have experienced some deep pain or brokenness within our marriages. So let's plan. Let's plan something else today. Let's make a different kind of plan today. Because I believe those marriages that are represented in this room, the marriages that are represented online, I believe we want marriages that are honorable and that we have marriages that are good. That, that we're, we're just really excited about what the future holds for them, that they're going to be fruitful marriages. So as we look at the promise of purity, let's make a plan to hold on to the purity that each of us desire. Let's make a kind of plan that we can make, and, and to do that, I believe we have to look at the Scripture. I believe we have to look at the Scripture. And so we're going to look at purity today through the lens of Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, which chapter 2, verse 24, has really been our text for this entire series. If you've joined us, you know that. That's the core Scripture we've been reaching uh, out to throughout this teaching series. The text says this in verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Verse 25 today. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, Adam and Eve were both naked, and what? They felt what? No shame. No shame. The word shame comes from a root Hebrew word that means to feel ashamed or to be completely worthless. And get this, Adam and Eve didn't feel that. In their nakedness, they didn't have any sense of, ooh, this is wrong. This is inappropriate. They weren't giggling or teasing one another or, 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 or making a joke or two, making fun of one another, right? They wouldn't have considered anything to be remotely wrong with this moment. And that is how God intended it to be. That is what God intended for their relationship. No sense of things being dirty. But what happens, what happens when sin enters into the world? That's where shame enters in. And shame means we begin to feel unworthy. We feel unlovable. We feel embarrassed or we feel dirty. We feel like we need to hide something when shame enters into the world. They were naked and they didn't feel any shame. And I think intuitively we get this. Intuitively we understand that this was God's original intent and how it was meant to be. Because, here's the deal, it was either your two-year-old, I know it was my two-year-old, but it was either your two-year-old or my two-year-old, that when you had company over the house, and it was done with bath time, right? And, and, and maybe you had people over the house, or maybe you were just ending small group, or maybe it was just your family intimately having dinner downstairs, and it was done with bath time, or you're wrapping up dinner, and down came that two-year-old in all their glory, running down the staircase, Right? And then I love this, is, this is what I love about kids. They feel like they have to announce it, too. They'll just come down, no telling, say, I'm naked, right? That's, that's the lovely thing about a little person, right? They're this big, and they're coming down announcing to all, I'm naked, and I'm good with it, right? Nothing is remotely wrong in that moment. It's totally innocent. Everybody laughs. Why? Because it is totally innocent, and that's... Because there's no shame. And that was Adam and Eve. And then if you know the story, you know that they were naked and they felt no shame. Then the serpent came along. 
Then the serpent, the enemy, tempted Adam and Eve to sin. Eve gave in. Adam gave in because he didn't do squat about anything. And the next thing you know, sin enters into the world. And suddenly, what do they feel? Ooh, self-conscious. They feel dirty. They feel like something's wrong. They felt shame. Here's how the scriptures tell the story. Verse 7 in Genesis chapter 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. What did Adam do? He hid. And that's what happens today, doesn't it? We don't just point at Adam. That's really impacted us through this day. You have your little one too, and they got chocolate all over their mouth. And it's like, did you eat the chocolate? I didn't eat the chocolate. Trying to wipe the mouth and sort of hide kind of deal, right? Or you have the 18-month-old that's going through potty training. They're in their diaper and sort of doing that little thing in the corner, and they start grunting a little bit kind of deal. And you're like, did you, are you okay? Like, did you make a dookie? Or, you know, you're trying to check in on them a little bit. stuff, And then they, they run further into the corner. And they go hide. Why? There's, there's just something about shame, about the fall, about brokenness that's built in all of us. Right? Adults are the same way, aren't we? We go run and hide in our corner. Not when we're doing our business, hopefully. But we go, we, go, we go in the corner. And why do we go in the corner? It's when somebody, hey, do you need some help? Can, can we lend you a hand? Is there something we can do for you? We know we've, you've been hurting for a while. And it's like, no, no, we're fine. We got this. Everything's good to go. And so we hide ourselves, right? And we hide because we have a profound sense of shame when the going gets tough or when we don't have the answers or when we need help. Shame happens to us even as adults. Here's what happens. We do something wrong and we feel it. We feel it in our, in our gut. There's just a shame thing. What does shame do? Shame connects the act, whatever the act may be, to identity. Shame connects the act to our identity, and that is how our enemy attacks us. That's how the enemy will, will attack us. If you want a solid foundation in your marriage, this is where the cracks in the foundation begin to show themselves. It's tough to build an upright marriage with these kind of cracks when, when shame is connected to our acts, and, and that means in some weird way, it gets connected to our identity. So here's another way to explain that. You do something bad, and Satan follows up with that. Well, that's because you are bad. Not the act. Not the thing you did. It's your character. It's your identity. It's who you are. And internally, in our marriages, we often think, oh, I can't let you know what I did, because then you'll think I'm bad. We can't do that with our significant others, or sometimes we don't do that with our significant others, because I, 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 I can't let you know what I'm going through, because then you won't trust me. And 
our trust has, that's got to be a foundation of our relationship. But I, I want you to trust me so I can't tell, I can't let you know that struggle because if I tell you that struggle, then you won't love me anymore. And the, and the statements continue on. And instead of bringing intimacy, the intimacy of truth into our marriage, we begin to live in this secrecy within our marriages. And it destroys the foundation. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. In Ephesians 5a, I believe it speaks to this. I believe it speaks to this as it, as it highlights darkness and light and speaks to true identity. Check this out. Chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. See, this scripture is talking to us about identity. You were once darkness. Once. If you're a Jesus follower, before we came to that relationship with Jesus, we were. We were in darkness. We were separated from God, and we were separated from God by our sin, by our darkness. And then Jesus comes into the picture. And the problem is, is sometimes that Jesus' follower, even when we spiritually, even though we know we've been forgiven, practically, we still step back into ongoing sin in our lives. And I'll say that another way. Spiritually, we've been made new. God, because of Jesus Christ and his eternal sacrifice, God, now uh, uh, there is no sin in us when we've put our faith and trust in Jesus because of the grace of Jesus. But positionally, we're solid. Practically, we step back into sin. We step back into darkness. So spiritually or positionally, we're good. We're right with Jesus Christ. We're right with a holy God. But we step back in, don't we? We step back in and we step into darkness. I, I want you to picture for a second a movie theater. You guys remember movie theaters? <laughs> we'll get back to those, all right? Keep hanging in there, right? But what happens when you go into a movie theater from a well-lit lobby? You'll go from a movie theater, or excuse me, into the movie theater from a well-lit lobby, and all of a sudden, everything that was really, really dark, you give it a few minutes, and all of a sudden, you can see in the dark. You can start seeing images and, and shadows, and, and, and your eyes have adjusted to that dark room, haven't they? What happens when the movie's over? You step back into the lobby, or you step outside into the blinding light for a minute, right? Into the parking lot, and that sunlight, whoa, right? We're all blinded by that light. Our eyes end up adjusting again, don't they? I want to say this really gently this morning. There are some of us Christians that have stepped back into darkness. And we don't even realize that we're in darkness right now because our eyes have adjusted to that darkness. Our eyes have adjusted to the darkness of whatever that sin is. And we're living in a place where we don't even realize that we've drifted from the light, the light that God has for us. Sometimes in our marriages that we think aren't working, or in our marriages that we feel like aren't quite meeting our expectations, what we don't even realize is our eyes have simply adjusted to darkness in our own lives. 
And that, in that message to the Ephesians, Paul says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now watch what he says. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. That's what we want. That's what we want for all of our marriages. That's what we want with every area of our lives, not just our marriages. We want to find out what pleases the Lord. And then Paul says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Don't hide them. Expose them. Have nothing to do with them. Secrecy. Secrecy is the enemy to intimacy. Why? Because we, we can't find healing in the dark. That's not where our healing is going to be found. Shame is the thing that grows in the dark. And healing happens in the, night, in the light. So we have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. That's what Paul is encouraging us towards. Expose them, he says. In fact, there's an incredibly high standard. Paul says that God's standard is incredibly high when it comes to purity in our lives. Look what he says in Ephesians 5.3. He says, but among you, there must not be even a hint, even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. That means there shouldn't be a hint that nothing resembles it. Nothing at all. No kind of impurity. Well, what is impurity? I would relate impurity to poison. And what's poison in your life? I'll tell you, if you're a Disney princess, you introduce poison into your life, it seems like, endlessly, right? But if you're not a Disney princess, if you're not a Disney princess, then you don't introduce that, but you stay away from it. You stay away from anything that's, that's impure because if it poisons, it means it's going to harm you. It means if you consume it, it's going to wipe you out. And that's one of the big problems we have is our eyes are adjusting to the darkness because we think the light of sin is in the wrong place. And here's what I mean by that. We'll focus on the light of sin when it comes to here and adultery or a porn addiction. When it comes to purity, right? That's where the line is. And the light on that sin, that's very well lit. That's very well lit. But what we forget is that the line doesn't start here. The line starts back here. There are steps, there are places that we're at in the line that are slowly leading up to the well-lit sin, and we forget that the light that's way dimmed out or that we're just, again, our eyes have adjusted in the dark, started way back here. That's the issue. Our sin line isn't just adultery. And we need to recognize that Jesus said something very clear when it came to the sin line and when it came to adultery. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying that the line of sin of adultery, it isn't over here, it's here. That's where it begins. So that sin line actually started maybe at the local gym when you were working out. And you looked over said, whoa, hello. And that went from actually admiring beauty and, and, and what God created, and it quickly went to lust. It quickly went to lust, and, and that's the line we've crossed. We've crossed that line into the darkness. Now, look, I get it. I get it. Some of us are hurting. 
some of us are really struggling in our marriages right now. And I just want you to know that sin doesn't discriminate. (laughs) I've appreciated Pastor John so much the last two weeks, just getting real about his relationship with his wife, Terry, and the struggles that they have within their own marriages. And can I just tell you, it's a breath of fresh air because that's it. We pastors are not unlike you (laughs) and what you struggle with and what you work through and deal with. We have the same sin. We have the same temptations. I can tell you, I have crossed that line, that, those lines that are leading up to the well-lit sin. I've crossed those lines endless times, too many times to count. I've shared here uh, on Sunday mornings how my wife and I, in the midst of our marriage, a great 17 years of marriage, we've had to have counseling. We've had to have counseling in our marriage. We've had to ask for help. Pastors and pastors' wives asking for help because sin doesn't discriminate. We need help sometimes. But we have to all recognize where our sin line is because it's going to be different for each of us. But where's that sin line for each of us? And Because it's a real big deal. And while it might look different for each of us, when we realize where that sin line is, what do we want to do? We want to run from it. We want to treat it like poison We want to get away from it and stay away from it. And Jesus is so severe as he teaches on this. He continues in Matthew verse 29, chapter 5. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. (laughs) Which is why I joke, if you ever go to a men's ministry breakfast, there's going to be a lot of pirates. All right? A lot of guys without arms and legs is all I'm saying. Uh, All right. (laughs) I don't think Jesus was being that direct. But this metaphor is pretty serious. Why? Because if there's something that gets in the way of righteousness, rid yourself of it, he's saying. Stay away from it. Don't flirt with it. Don't get close to it. It's poison. It's impurity. It's not cute. It's not okay. It's dangerous, so stay away from it. Because it's going to hurt your relationship. So Jenny and I, one of the tools that we've, we've worked on coming out of even counseling and, and some of our time together is to not have secrets from one another. To not have secrets. We have access to ask one another at any point. When we have a feeling of, a, of an emotional affair happening or potentially a, a porn thing creeping back uh, in, into our marriage that I've suffered with from, from since I was in a middle schooler and any kind of thing, we have that freedom to ask, hey, how are you doing? How are things going there? Without any kind of dissent, without any kind of retribution, we can ask those questions when we're concerned in a moment. And it doesn't mean, I'm not here to tell you we're perfect on that. I'm just here to tell you we're working on not having any secrets. That's our goal for our marriage. And this doesn't mean that we are perfect, but it does mean that, you know what, even with phones and access to phones, we know each other's passwords. We can get on each other's phones at any point. And you may think that that's, well, okay, that's a small thing, Brandon. Come on, really? Uh, We've done that forever. You may think that's a real big thing, like, whoa, do you not trust one another at all? And why are you making such a big deal about it? Here's the point as to why we do this. If secrecy is the enemy of intimacy, we have access to everything that is ours. That's why we do that. 
We're going to have access to everything that is ours because we're sharing our lives together. We don't keep separate bank accounts, and we don't keep separate phone passwords or anything like that because we're trying to tell each other a lot, maybe everything, and maybe not everything. Jenny doesn't know what I had for lunch every single day. But you know what? We're trying to get in those conversations, and I'm the, I'm the worst at this because I'm a guy, and I'll come home, and she wants to engage and figure out what's gone in the day, and I'm, I'm forgetful, or I, I, I need to intentionally think through what some of those things are. But we're trying to share our lives together, shared information. And while she doesn't need to know everything, we're trying to tell each other a story, and we want each other's best. And that certainly means we want each other's best to when something's creeping in, and we have a question that we need to be able to ask that question. If there's something that's compromising our intimacy, we need to confess that immediately because sharing those things makes us stronger and it makes us closer. And so we don't keep those secrets. Our marriage, what we found is when you don't keep the uh, secrets, marriage ends up having more peace. That creates trust in the relationship. And And it means that the fears that sometimes creep in, oh, I wonder if they would love me if I told them this. Those don't happen as much. Oh, I I wonder uh, if I have what it takes to be the best husband I can be, to be the best spouse I can be, to be the best mother or father I can be. Those don't creep in. Am I enough? It doesn't creep in. Those fears and those questions, it goes. It, It just dissipates because of the trust that's building. It's kept at bay is maybe a way to say it. Within the relationship, secrecy is the enemy of intimacy, and we have to fervently fight against that. Now, hear my heart. I think that's going to look different for all of us, okay? I'm not a counselor, but the counselors that I've connected with, the professionals would tell you, you don't share everything that goes on in your head, dudes, okay? Because if my wife knew everything that went on in my head, and dude, you were the same way, your wife would be like, this guy needs to be in a psych ward, right? So we don't share everything, but maybe that secrecy, that could lead to the effects and being the enemy of intimacy. Maybe we stop being secret with what's going on in our heads or the struggles we're having, and we start finding another dude in our life to start sharing that with, to have someone that's chasing after Jesus in a big way, and we can have that kind of dialogue with another man and work through that a little bit. And ladies, same kind of thing. Who are the women in your life that you're able to share the things that, you know what, it's just going to cause a fight, and then you have to weigh that, Counselor, a third party, a professional will tell you, weigh those things. Go back to God with those things. Priority is God. Discern and be in relationship with God where he can prioritize what you're supposed to communicate. How? When? So what are we going to do? First thing is we're going to do something. (laughs) I just want to point you guys, if you haven't signed up already for the marriage night, that's at least one step you can take. I think it's a real easy step. To get to marriage night this upcoming Saturday night, May 8th, it's from 6 to 9, and I'm not guilting or shaming you, this is going to be a blast of a night. It's going to be a fun night where we can come together as a couple, sort of date night style, have some engaging thoughts and some tools for the toolbox, even more to work through conflict, and and, and just, again, some humor, laughter, good food, all those kind of things. I want to encourage you to sign up for this. It's $30 per couple, okay? And we already have 50-plus couples signed up. So it's going to be a blast of a night already. I want 50 more couples to sign up tonight. (laughs) Let's make that happen. Let's let's fill this house so we can fight for our marriages in a good way. Even if you're considering getting married soon, one day, 
This might be good to bring your significant other to. And I, I, I think it will be a, a really rich night, a really fruitful night for each of us. But what are we going to do? That, that's an easy step. That's an easy step we can take. What are we going to do when it comes to this being practical in our week, in our day, and really to tie the bow around this series of making promises? What are we going to do practically? See, when we choose to make the promise of purity in marriage, we're promising that we're not going to hide. We're not going to be in the garden (laughs) hiding. It's not what God originally intended. It's not what he wants for our marriages. What we're going to promise is that we're not going to hide from our spouse anymore, that we're going to actually confide in them. We're not going to hide from our spouse, but instead we will confide in them. See, if secrecy is the enemy to intimacy, I think it's really simple for us to step into. We promise to confide and not hide. That's what we need to step into this next week. And for those of us that think that we've been walking down a line, that maybe we're starting to skew the light and the darkness a little bit, we know deep down inside that if we continue on the path we're on, there is a lot of carnage. There is a lot of hurt. There's a lot to lose. But I just want to share some good news this morning. There's a God in heaven that knows who is the good news and knows first and foremost what he wants to do within your marriage to heal it. We serve this great God, this great God of grace. And if you find that you might be someone that might be stepping into that darkness a little bit and you don't know which turn to take and and you want to take a step Take a step by moving from darkness into light. And we've all been there. But I'm telling you, if you stay in the dark, you're not going to heal. If you keep telling yourself lies, you're not going to heal. And we've all been there. Proverbs 28, 13, it reminds us. It reminds us that whoever conceals their sin doesn't prosper. Whoever hides does not prosper. So what are we going to do? We're going to promise to confide and not hide. We're going to confess our sins to God, and we're going to confess our sins to people. And here's what's going to happen through that. When we confess our sins to God, he is going to forgive us. That's God's nature. That's who God is. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter whoever you think he couldn't forgive. He is there to forgive you, to bring you into righteousness. That's what our God does. And so we're going to confess to God so we can be forgiven. We're going to confess to people so we can start experiencing some healing. And what's going to happen when we do that is we're going to have our story out there in the light. And we're going to seek the help that we need. And maybe that person's going to help us point us in the right direction. Maybe that person's going to pray for us. Maybe that person's going to uh, encourage us, keep us accountable. We're going to go to people for healing. We promise to confide and not hide. That's the promise of purity. That's the promise we make. It'll look different for each of us, but that's where we're going to start. And if we link arms, I I believe this in my whole heart. If we link arms as a church family, many of us are going to be set free. Set free from a place that we've been wanting to be set free from from for a long time. We cannot have what God wants for our lives if we live a life in a web of lies. We have to bring truth. 
and righteousness into that. That's what sets apart Christianity. That's what makes us different from the world is we seek after truth. And I'm telling you, sometimes I know pressing through the pain of dealing with that truth is difficult. But to get to the healing of the other side of truth, we need to do that. We need to look in the mirror, be honest with ourselves, be honest with our God and be truthful. So let's start there. Just be honest, confess to God confess to people and trust that God has a different and better path for each of us that when we live differently when we live set apart we're going to have the things in our marriage that we've wanted forever this, the, the secrecy it's an enemy guys it's an enemy to our intimacy so let's fight against it and we can let's fight against it by confiding and not hiding would you pray with me Father, I just ask this morning, God, I ask for each of my friends here for boldness, ask for courage. God, this is tough stuff to be able to look in the mirror and have a truthful conversation that many of us have just skewed the line, Lord. We've been teetering in this place of darkness and it's just because our eyes really adjusted to the room to our world and maybe we're just taking some steps that are going to eventually lead us to the the well-lit sin of of adultery or addiction and some maybe maybe some of us are already there god but god thank you thank you that the good news hallelujah the good news is that you're ready to restore all of that that we can be a community that comes alongside one another as people to encourage one another towards your greatness for our marriages, for our individual lives. And God, we just seek your help this morning. We ask that you would point us in the direction, the one step we need to take to do that, to just confide and to stop hiding, God. God, we're going to leave that up to you and, and uniquely in each of our individual lives, but we lift that up to you today. We trust you with it. We pray these things in your great name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.